we're thankful. All right, Ephesians 6, if you found that in your Bible, say with me if you would. We're going through the armor of God, piece by piece, and uh, we're in um, verse 10 down through 16 will be our, our reading this morning, and um, we're going to be looking at that before so. It's good to see Eric and Maggie back in the service. They recently moved up to, you guys are still living up there, right? Okay, just down for a visit. I don't know if you gave up, moved back, because you, you miss us so much, but it's good to have Eric and Maggie in the service. Let's begin together in verse 10, and then we'll read every other verse together. I'll read alone the odd-numbered verses. We'll read together the even-numbered verses. Together, verse 10. Ready? Here we go. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And so we're going to focus in today on the fourth piece of our armor, the armor of God. We're going to look at the shield of faith, the shield of faith. And I think it's appropriate to look at this topic on Veterans Day, the armor that the Christian ought to wear as we stand for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church. We pray that over the next few minutes, as we look at faith, the importance of it, Lord, that you would help us to pick up this shield, and uh, Lord, to carry it in front of us, and to be protected by it. And Lord, many uh, in here believe, Lord, but all of us could do better with our faith, and all of us could be stronger in our faith. Lord, constantly, consistently, you're trying to refine our faith, and Make this shield even better for us. And so, Lord, help us today to consider this shield. And, Lord, to um, see where we can improve. And, Lord, help our faith to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The African Impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance in his jump of greater than 30 feet. 10 feet up, 30 feet in distance. Yet, these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in a zoo with a three-foot-tall wall. Ten feet high, thirty feet out, but you can keep them enclosed with a three-foot-tall wall. How? Because these animals will not jump to a place where they cannot see. They will not jump to a place where they cannot see. If they can't see where their feet will land, they will not jump. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. And with faith, we are freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only allow, that, that rather, that life or fear entraps us. You, you don't want life to entrap you. You want to re, reach great heights for the Lord. Listen, the world around us is selling you fear to keep you enclosed and to keep you from becoming all that God 
would have you to be. So I believe that the one thing that each Christian must do is hold on to his or her faith. Above all, uh, we must hold on to our faith. We must hold it in front of our heart. We must hold it in, uh, in the forefront of our life. It must be the thing that defines us. If a Christian fails to put on a, p- a part of his armor of God uh, one particular day, but picks up the shield of faith and holds on to it well, then he can survive. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I fully believe that every Christian should put on every part of the armor of God every day, but above all, the shield of faith. The shield of faith is our first line of defense against the devil's schemes. There have been times in my Christian life where I've not put on all of the armor of God. I've been carnal in my attitude, in my spirit. I've had seasons of life where I was maybe a little more backslidden from the Lord than I ought to be, but I've picked up the shield of faith, and when uh, error was thrown my way or a trial was thrown my way, boy, my faith was strong enough to carry me through that carnal time until I got back and put on the shield of God. Now, don't take me wrong. You need to put on the gospel shoes of peace. You need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You need to put on the belt of truth and uh, the helmet of salvation and all the rest of it. All the rest of it is important, but above all, above all, the shield of faith. We need to make sure our faith is strong. We need to make sure we're picking up that shield. So let's jump in this morning and look at four thoughts about the Christian and the shield of faith. Number one, number one, notice the Christian and his defense. The Christian and his defense. Look back with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 16. The Bible says there, Above all, taking the shield of faith, whereby ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All year long, we have looked at our theme, Stand for Jesus. Stand for Jesus. We've uh, This series here is the last series in our theme, Stand for Jesus. We have seen that in our current culture, Satan is attacking the Christian as fierce as he ever has before. There's an all-out assault uh, on the Christian. There's no question uh, that it is more intense than it's ever been before. I read an article recently that said in the year 2000, 72% of Christians claim to go to church at least once a month. Uh, In 2018, right before the pandemic hit, 50% of American Christians claim to go to church once a month. Now, post-pandemic, that number is down to 47% of Americans claim to go to church once a month. Only 47% of Americans go to church once a month. And I'm going to tell you my opinion. I think that number is high. I think that number is high. I don't believe 47% of Americans go to some form of church once a month. I believe it's probably closer to 30 or 35%. And so what it, what has become here is that if you're a church-going person, you are now in the minority in this country. You see, Satan used to attack the Christian subtly because the, the Christianity, church-going, God-fearing people were in the majority. He had to be covert about it. Now that we're in the minority, there's no reason for him to be covert about it. He's overt. He's out of the open. He's attacking. He's pressing. Now to be a Christian, boy, you have to do it on purpose. You have to take a stand in the face of what's evil. The very faith system of the Christian lies in the crosshairs of Satan's attack. There's no more being subtle about it. He's obvious about it. And in in a lot of ways, I'm thankful he's obvious about it. It makes it more ob- easy to identify and call out. But as Christians, we must not only know what we believe. You'll hear me say this over and over again. We must know why we believe it. 
We have to know why we believe what we believe. And there needs to be some depth to your Bible knowledge because if there isn't one day, you're not going to believe it either. If it's just a doctrinal statement that's memorized in your head, there needs to be some depth to it. Our belief system ought to be both Bible-backed and logical. Bible-backed and logical. Can what we believe be logical? Absolutely it can be. Absolutely it can be. There is enough out there that if you'll do your homework and you'll study and you'll dig deep and you'll understand, boy, there is enough out there logically uh, to back up what the Bible says. And by the way, it is what the Bible says first and what logic dictates behind that. It is not what logic dictates first and what the Bible says behind that. If you want to put logic ahead of the Bible, then you're worshiping yourself over God. And if there's a conflict between what your logic says and what the Word of God says, boy, by default, you should give the Bible the edge every single time. Now, we're going to take a minute and consider what exactly faith is. Faith has been defined in many ways by a large assortment of people. And let's look at how God defines the word faith in the Holy Scriptures. Hebrews tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is uh, uh, faith can be defined as uh, belief uh, to a complete trust, the state of complete dependability, this, uh, the, uh, a belief to a complete trust, the state of complete dependability. Let me illustrate. One night a house caught on fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof apart from his family. The father stood on the ground below with outstretched arms uh, calling to his son. He said, jump and I'll catch you. Jump, boy, and I'll catch you. He knew the boy had to jump in order for his life to be saved. All the boy could see, however, was flames, smoke, and blackness. Flames, smoke, and blackness. As can be imagined, he was afraid to jump off of the roof. His father kept yelling, Jump, I'll catch you! Jump, I'll catch you! But the boy protested, But Daddy, I can't see you. Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, But I can see you, son. And that's all that matters. I can see you, son, and that's all that matters. We have a God who's all-powerful. We have a God who's all-knowing. We have a God who's ever-present. We have a God that's ever-loving. And by faith, sometimes He says to you, jump and I'll catch you. And we say, but God, I can't see you. And God says, it doesn't matter. I see you. I know right where you are. I know the hardships you're going through. I know the struggles that you have. I know that you can't see me because I'm up in heaven and I'm looking down and I can see you, but you can't see me. Trust me, I've got this. Let's look at verse 16 again. And let's look at two concepts about the shield of faith based out of verse 16. Letter A, notice faith's priority. Faith's priority. Look back at verse 16 with me. Notice, let's read those first two words together, can we? Here we go. Ready? Above all. Ready? Let's do it again. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Again, of all of the armor, of, uh, of all of the pieces of armor, the shield of faith is the most important. Again, notice there, above all, prioritizing above all of the other pieces is the shield of faith. It is the most important. Why is this? Well, uh, jot these three thoughts down below letter A somewhere on your paper there if you can. Notice that it is faith that saves us. It is faith that saves us. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved. What are the next two words? What are the next two words? For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
Through faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now watch this. Salvation comes by God's grace being extended to everyone. Let me be really clear here. God's grace is extended to everyone. Jesus did not just die for a handful of people he wanted to take to heaven. Jesus died for everyone. Amen? Everyone. You say, well, um, what about where the Bible talks about the elect? The elect are those who chose God in their own free will. Then God turned around and chose them back. But everyone, Jesus died for them. He died for every soul. He died for those in the past. When he died, he died for those in the present who lived with him. He died for those in the future. Grace was extended to all men. Now, how does someone get saved? They get saved by taking faith and putting it in the grace of God, his death, burial, and resurrection. When we put our faith in the grace of God, something incredible happens. He saves us. What does that mean, he saves us? That means he changes our path from hell to heaven. That means we go from being a child of the world, a child of Satan, and Romans 8, 15, and 16 say that we become adopted into the family of God. John 1, 12 works it this way. If, uh, let's see, it says, uh, uh, help, help, somebody help me get started here. For as many as received him. You didn't remember either. <laughs> For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I witnessed to a tour guide while we were in Peru, showing us around to Rainbow Mountain, Las Montañas de Siete Colores, very pretty. But we were going around and there, and on the way back, I started to witness to him. And One of the questions he asked me, he said, aren't we all the children of God? And I had him take his Bible app on his phone, and he turned to John 1.12, and he read it, and he said, huh. How do you become a child of God? You're not born one. You're born with a relationship with God. Creator and creation. But that's as far as it goes. How do you become a child of God? It's one word. It's the word faith. It's faith. There's a reason why Christians are called believers. Believers. Because by faith, we believe in the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and He saves us. So why is faith prioritized? Because it is faith that saves us. Write this down. It is faith that sanctifies us. It is faith that sanctifies us. Turn over to Acts chapter 26 with me in verse number 18. Acts chapter 26 and verse number 18. Uh, there is a connection between faith and being made clean. You say, well, what is the process of sanctification? I want you to imagine that you have a pig who has lived in a pig pen his whole life. He eats slop and he wallers around in the mud and does all of the dirty, disgusting habits that a pig does. And all of a sudden, one day, the farmer comes over and picks him up out of the pig pen and he takes him in and he gives him a bath and he washes him up real clean and he makes him uh, uh, look like a prized pig at a fair and uh, he keeps him away from that pig pen. He eliminates the paths back to the pig pen. Now the heart of the pig always wants to go back to the pig pen but the pig is cleaned up. That is the process of sanctification where we go from wallowing in sin prior to being saved to where God then takes us out and slowly but surely we get cleaned up and made in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And that process takes place through faith. Look at Acts 26, 18. The Bible says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to life or from the pig pen to being out and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, look here, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Sanctified by faith that is in me. 
How many of you here have been a Christian? You've been a, 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 you've been a believer in Christ for more than 10 years. Will you raise your hand if you've been saved more than 10 years? How many of you can look back and remember a lifestyle that you lived prior to being saved and say, if it wasn't but by the grace of God and my faith in His grace, I would be a completely different person? You know, I know Christians that have been saved for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and they still look like, talk like, act like, walk like the world. They still waller around in the pig pen just like the lost do. Can I tell you why that is? They're not living by faith. They've laid down the shield of faith, and they have succumbed to the fiery darts of the wicked. You say, are they still saved? It's not my place or your place to judge someone else's salvation. But I believe there are people who are saved, but boy, they don't look like they're saved. They don't act like they're saved. Because they're not living by faith. Faith saved them, but they're not allowing faith to sanctify them. You say, well, pastor, why should I pick up the shield of faith? Because it is a priority. When we learn to walk by faith and not by sight, when we learn to trust God in our day-to-day, when we learn to lean not on our own understanding, as Proverbs 3 says, when we learn to walk by faith, then what happens is we begin to grow and become in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Faith is a priority. Not only does it save us, not only does it sanctify us, it is faith, faith that satiates our Savior. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse Number six, Hebrews 11 and verse number six. You understand that faith is the staple attribute in the Christian life. Uh, now, I know 1 Corinthians tells us that there's faith, hope, and charity, and the principal one of those is charity. But please understand the context of 1 Corinthians 13. It's talking about, it's talking about spiritual gifts and working together within the church body. When it comes to getting along with the church body, when it comes to uh, 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 fulfilling your role within a church body and, and putting forth that spiritual gift, charity is the principal attribute. But when it comes to pleasing God... Faith is the principal attribute. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We are commanded to strap on the belt of faith, but truth without faith leads to man worship. And man-made religions. We are commanded to strap on the breastplate of righteousness. But righteousness without faith leads to, a self, uh, leads to self-righteousness and a pharisaical attitude. We are commanded to shod our feet with the gospel shoes of peace. But the gospel, but the gospel without faith leads to empty religion filled with idolatry and ritualism. Above all, Ephesians 6.16 tells us, Taking on the shield of faith. We're to put on the shield of faith. This is the most important part of the armor of God. Let me ask you this morning, are you, are you reliant on yourself or on God? I can help you answer that question. How much do you pray? How much do you pray? Many Christians don't pray much. When we don't pray, what we're telling God is, I got this, I don't need you. Because if I needed you, I'd ask you. You know when most Christians pray? When they've run out of options and they're at their wit's end. 
I can tell you whether or not the shield of faith is laying on the side or out in front of you. How much do you pray? See, because when we don't pray, we leave ourselves vulnerable to Satan and his attacks. Do you trust in God to provide your daily bread? Or in your own strength to get by? Is God the preserver of your life? Or have you, or have you taken the protection of your health away from God? And are you dependent on yourself in some medical system? Truth plus faith in God protects our spiritual loins. This isn't the most exciting point of the part of the sermon. I'm not telling some fancy story. But what I'm telling you is something that will greatly help you if you'll sit up and listen and take it in and understand it. Truth plus faith in God, protects our spiritual loins. Righteousness plus faith in God protects our heart. The gospel plus faith in God protects and guides our steps. Faith must be a priority in your life. It must be. Reliance on God. Trust in God. Boy, faith's priority. Letter B, notice, faith's protection. Faith's protection. Look back at verse number 16. It says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. As we've discussed all year long, the Christian is under constant assault from Satan and his kingdom. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, said about the devil that he is the father of all lies. What lies does the devil try to sell us? One of the lies the devil tries to sell us is that life is for the taking. Life is for the taking. The Bible teaches us that life is supposed to be a chance to give to others. Here's another one. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. If you don't stand up for yourself, you're going to get devoured. Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek. And that the greatest among you is what? Servant of all. Here's another lie Satan tries to tell us. You only live once. If it feels good, do it. The Bible teaches us to live a life of prudence and that we're to be temperate or moderate in all things. You see, when we, when we learn to walk by faith and not by sight, what happens is we're able to quickly identify the fiery darts that the wicked has aimed at us. The shield of faith is our first line of defense. Defense. It offers protection to the Christian. We see, number one, the Christian and his defense. Let's move on to thought number two. The Christian and his distraction. The Christian and his distraction. Every Christian has times in his or her life where their faith is challenged. Sometimes this is caused by the exterior. Other times our own heart and mind play games on us. Let's look at three common faith distractions, faith distractions that many Christians face. Uh, We will use the life of Peter to see how he dealt with all three. Notice letter A, the first distraction. Notice doubt. 
doubt. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 14 in your Bibles with me, if you would. Uh, Matthew 14 and verse number 25. Now, the opposite of faith is doubt, right? Uh, the opposite of faith in God would either be faith in herself or doubting God. You can make a case for either one. But when we doubt God or we don't think that the Lord is trustworthy and His way is trustworthy and His Word is perfect and following His steps is the right thing to do, when we question that, when we have a hard time with that, then what ends up happening by default is we begin to doubt God. And when we doubt God, boy, then we put our faith in something else. And that's exactly what happened with Peter in Matthew 14. Look at verse 25, and it says, And in the fourth watch of the night Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered Him and said, Lord, if it be Thou, bid me come unto Thee on the water. And he said, Come! And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. There Peter is. I like to imagine this. The boat's rocking back and forth. He's standing up against the edge of the boat and he holds on to the side of the boat and puts one foot out. And, and, and the boat's shaking over here and his foot's on what would be solid ground. And he takes his other foot and put it out and he locks his eyes on Jesus. And you know what? As long as he's got his eyes locked on Jesus, he's walking by faith, isn't he? It's a great image of walking by faith. It's a great image of a shield of faith holding him up. Here he is walking on the water, his eyes locked on the Savior. The one empowering him to be able to do something that isn't even humanly possible. And as long as his eyes are on Jesus and he's trusting Jesus, he's on top of that water. But you all know the story. Maybe the wind picked up a little bit. Maybe a raindrop caught him in the eye, right? Maybe the wind blew him over a couple of feet uh, to the right or to the left and, and, and he took his eyes off the Lord. And as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, it, what happened? His emotions got the best of him. And fear crept in. You know what fear is? Fear is the absence of faith. Fear is the presence of doubt. Well, I know God said in His Word, if I sought first the kingdom of God, all these things would be added unto me. I know that the Lord said in Romans 8 that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. I know the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and He delighteth in His way. I, I know uh, what God said in His Word. I know the promises of God. But boy, I just don't feel like that's happening right now. We take our eyes off the Lord. We allow our emotions to get the best of us. The winds and waves, the storms of life come along. And before we know it, we've forgotten about God. We've forgotten about the promises of God. We've forgotten to have faith in God, and then we begin to sink. But I'm so thankful for a God that when we're sinking, we can cry out to Him and say, Lord, save me. You know what that was? That was a, hey, my faith is back in you again. And the Lord reached down and helped them up. And the two of them came walking on liquid H2O, not ice, amen? 
Like what it, he, wasn't walk, he wasn't walking on ice and fell through the, the cracks, okay? He was, he was walking on liquid H2O, and boy, they came back uh, and got back in the boat, and the storm was calm. Doubt, doubt is a distraction that keeps us from walking with God. Um, uh, letter B, notice the second distraction. Notice discouragement. Discouragement. You maybe have heard the phrase, I've used it here a handful of times before, but you maybe have heard the phrase, new levels bring new devils. New levels bring new devils. You, you uh, want to grow in the Lord. Let me just ask you this morning, how many of you have a desire in your heart to grow in the Lord? Would you raise your hand? You want to be more like the Lord. I hope that's, I hope that's true for you. You want to grow in the Lord. I encourage you, grow in the Lord. Read your Bible and pray and and learn all about God's Word that you can. And be challenged in your faith. And when a challenge comes along, accept the challenge and let God grow your faith. The process of growing your faith can be a messy one. And uh, it can be filled with failures along the way. And you can scrape your spiritual knee. But accept those challenges and grow in the Lord. But can I tell you something? When you enter a new level in your walk with the Lord, there's going to be new devils that face you. New devils that face you. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Turn to Matthew 26 if you would. You, you know the story if you've been in church any length of time. Uh, Jesus tells Peter, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Peter turns around and tells Jesus, he says, if every other man walks away from you, I'm going to be by your side all the way to the death. Jesus looks at Peter and says, I wish that was true, Peter, but before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, not me. Not me. And then the soldiers showed up, and what did Peter do? He drew out his sword and he started swinging. He cut off Malchus's ear. And God told Peter, he said, Jesus told Peter, he said, put your sword away. Uh, we're not here to fight that kind of battle. Peter followed Jesus. He followed Jesus to a place where he sat outside where Jesus was being tried and he warmed his hands. And then the question started to come. Are you one of Jesus' followers? What did Peter say? No! Not me! I don't even know who he is. Someone else said, oh, I don't know. You sound a lot like one of his disciples. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't associate with that Jesus guy. And the third time, a little girl said to him, I saw you with him. You're one of his disciples. And Peter reverted back to his pre-Jesus sailor days, and he started to cuss. About the time that he let out a string of curse words, Jesus came out. And at the same time Jesus came out, the rooster crowed. Look at verse number 75, Matthew 26, 75. The Bible says, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Here's where we get to discouragement. And he went out and wept bitterly. I've been saved for... 33 plus years. I wish I could tell you that I've been a perfect Christian. But I've had some times where I've not been very Christian. 
I've had some times where I've done things and said things and behaved in a way that's shameful. Maybe my mouth did not deny Jesus, but my lifestyle sure did. You ever have one of those moments where you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize how God-awful you are? Anybody be able to relate with me this morning? You ever have a time of confession of sin and prayer where you stop and say to yourself, I'm a horrible person. Peter had failed, not only privately, Peter had failed publicly on such a level. He became so discouraged that later when God came around, wanted to, we're going to look at this more in just a moment, God wanted to use him, he was too discouraged to do so. You say, well, should have Peter denied the Lord? Obviously not. But can I tell you, that, listen here, this is so important. I don't want you to miss what I'm about to say. Of the tens of thousands of men in Israel that were walking around, none of the rest of them even had the opportunity to fail. You know why Peter failed? Because for three and a half years he had tried. He had put himself in that spot. You're going to walk by faith. You're going to climb the rungs of the spiritual life. You're going to become more like the Lord. You say, well, I don't want to fall. Then don't climb the ladder. Don't climb the ladder. Many, many other folks who would throw rocks at Peter for having uh, denied the Lord uh, don't even have enough relationship with God where they could even deny Him. Peter had walked by faith and he had fallen. But you know what Peter would have to do? He'd have to get up and dust himself off. Some of you in here today, you used to be a great Christian. You used to read your Bible. You used to pray. You used to share your faith. You used to dot all the I's and cross all the T's that a Christian's supposed to dot and cross. You used to live a good life, but you have fallen spiritually and you're discouraged. There are other people in here today, it wasn't you that fell, it was someone who you loved and looked up to in the Lord that fell, disappointed you. You're discouraged. Look, I could stand here this morning and I could give you a hundred ways where you could be discouraged. However you arrived at a point of discouragement, it's limiting your faith. My friend, it's time for you to pick up the shield of faith and carry it strong again. Let me give you one more example of Peter here, and it's the word defeat, defeat. Look at John chapter 21 in your Bibles. The, I believe that's the last chapter or the second to last chapter. John 21 in your Bibles. John 21, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. This follows after Peter went out and wept bitterly. Understand that Jesus would, uh, be, uh, uh, would be killed on the cross, buried, would rise again, would appear to Peter on two separate occasions prior to John chapter 21. Even though Peter had seen the Lord in his risen state, even though Peter knew uh, that the Lord was God in the flesh and he began to understand these things, Peter was so discouraged over his failure that he walked away and he quit. Look at John chapter 21 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed himself again 
to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. Therefore, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in, in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples. Uh, Simon Peter uh, saith unto them, look here, he says, I go a fishing. Can I tell you what that means? He said, I quit. I quit. I can't do this. Now again, remember, he had seen Jesus risen on two different occasions now. But because he was discouraged, he quit. He was at a defeated attitude. Peter, where's your faith? I don't have any. I've fallen. I've fallen. I can't do this. I quit. I go back to fishing the way I was before Jesus found me. Look there. They said unto him, we also go with thee. You know what they said? If you quit, Peter, we quit too. There's a lesson in there. We'll look at that another time. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Of course not, because when you're running from God and you're outside the will of God, you're not going to prosper. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then uh, said Jesus unto them, Children, have you any meat? Have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast thy net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find it. This is the same story of when he first found them uh, happening again. They cast therefore, uh, and now they were not able to draw in uh, for the uh, multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when, uh, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. You know, Peter didn't just quit. He quit and then he backslid real fast. He's out there in the boat naked. And was, what's it mean by naked? Was he probably had, you know, probably was shirtless, wearing his undergarments. He wasn't wearing what he's supposed to be wearing. He was immodest. And by the way, I'm just going to insert this here real quick and move on, okay? I'm not going to, to, to rail on this or stay on it. One sign that a Christian is backslidden is they're immodest in their dress. They're immodest in their dress. They're saying to the Lord, I don't have to follow the rules that you've put in front of me. I will live my life the way I want to with the spirit of rebellion. Peter backslid. He got in the boat. And the first, very first thing he did is he got naked. He got naked. And my friend, we need to be people who are modest in the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act. It's a, it, by the way, you can be modest and still be backslidden. Amen? I've been modest and backslidden. I'm modest because no one else wants to see me immodest. Amen? You can be modest and still be backslidden. All right? Uh, but one sign that someone is backslidden is they're willing to be immodest. Now, Peter here, he was defeated. He felt discouraged and he quit on the Lord. And the Lord had to take the time and had to restore his spirit because he was defeated in his attitude. Many, 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 many Christians have a defeated attitude. They sit on the sidelines and they're not serving the Lord. They're not walking by faith. They're not carrying the shield of faith because for a while they were in the battle. For a while they were in the spiritual war and they scraped their knee. They fell. They made a mistake. Someone let them down. They're discouraged in some way so they've laid down the shield of faith and now they're vulnerable to the attack of the enemies. The Christian in his defense. Number two, the Christian in his distractions. Quickly, number three, notice the Christian in his decision. The Christian in his decision. Faith is feeling both doubt and and faith, and then stepping out on faith in spite of the doubt. I've shared the story uh, with many of you one-on-one personally. I think I've only shared it once in the pulpit. So for some of you, you will have heard the story a 
at least twice, maybe more, but I, I believe it fits perfect here. And those newer to our church will have not heard it before. When Matthew, the date Matthew was born on May 2nd, 2009, on uh, like 2.30 in the morning, May 1st, 2009 at 7 p.m. or so, I met with a pastor and he hired me to be his assistant pastor. Uh, I was to start at the very end of uh, May, beginning of June, when my school contract where I taught had run out. And so I left that meeting and I went and joined Angela at the hospital and was there to see Matthew born. And boy, things were just falling into place, couldn't have worked out better. I was going to uh, finish out at the school, move into a church parsonage and have a, a, a big home out of apartment, have a big home to live in and get to finally start being an assistant pastor for the first time. I was just so excited. I, I was Matthew in my arms, uh, new, newborn son, everything was great. Matthew is two weeks old on a Saturday morning. I'm driving over to the house. I'm beginning to take some things and get it moved in. And on my way back, our car breaks down. We had a, a clunker car. And it gave up the ghost for good. How many of you know when, you're, when the far, car finally is done, it goes kaput for the final time? You know there ain't no reviving this car. It's, it's toast, right? That was that. My parents happened to live in the area at the time about 30, 35 minutes from us. And so my dad loaned me his car and came down to get us and took us up to his house. We're having dinner there that night. It was my dad's pastor that was going to hire me and I'm sitting there in my parents' living room, and they're holding their, their first grandson, and we're just having a wonderful time together, and my future boss calls me, and I pick up the phone, and he unhires me. He says, I, I've been awake all night and been wrestling with the Lord, and he's made it clear I'm not to hire you. Did he tell you that too? And I said, no. <laughs> he didn't. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy doesn't have any money. He's unhiring me because he can't afford to hire me, and so now I've lost my job and my car in the same day. I drive my parents, and I'm a newlywed. We've only been married two years. I'm 25 years old, and I drive my car back to my parents' house, and, or rather to our little apartment there, and I send Angela inside, and I just sat in the car, and I wept. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? What are you putting me through? Why is this happening? My lease in that apartment was up at the end of the month, and we found out the next day that to sign a month-by-month lease meant paying 125% of the rent without any income. This pastor led me on for months to uh, make me believe he was going to hire me, so I hadn't lined up other work, and I had one more paycheck from the school coming, and I had no pay. Shortly after I was out of work, I began to drive around and look for a job, and I had some warehouse experience, so I applied at a place. And it was going to be great pay. It was going to be 18 bucks an hour plus incentives for production, uh, overproduction type pay with a potential of 25 to $30 an hour. And uh, Considering I didn't have a job, I was pretty excited about that. I went and filled out the application. Two, three hours later, I'm driving around still looking for another job. Lo and behold, my phone rings. It's the HR manager of this warehouse. And he says, man, I love your application. This is fantastic. I love your work experience. All through college, I had worked driving a forklift. And, and then in between a couple of summer breaks, I had worked doing a slot picking type warehouse work, similar to what Miss Maria Pete did for years. And I had, uh, I had lots of experience on my resume. And he was super excited to pay, uh, hire me. He said, uh, boy, you got the job, but there's one problem. I said, what's that? He said, you marked on your application that you won't work on Sundays. He said, I need you to work Sundays. 
He said, now you can either, you, if your church has a Sunday evening service, you can go to that. And I thought for a moment, I don't even have a church home right now. You see, the church I had been working for, the school, there had been some things there that it just changes in the church. I didn't feel comfortable there anymore. And then my parents' church, the pastor hadn't hired me. I call it pride, but I didn't feel comfortable going there anymore. And I didn't even know where to go to church. But I knew that Christians are supposed to be in church on Sunday and not supposed to be working on Sunday. He said, if you're willing to work on Sundays, you can have the job. And I took a deep breath, and I swallowed real hard, and I looked up toward the heavens, I was parked on the side of the road, and I said, no, I'm sorry, sir, I don't work on Sundays. He said, well, if you change your mind, call me back, and the job is yours. And I looked up through the windshield, and I said, Lord, I just took a step by faith. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month. I've got a wife, a brand new wife of two years, and I've got a newborn child to feed. I've got an apartment rent bill due at the end of the month. I don't know how to pay and no income. God, please, please, I need you. Well, that pastor that unhired me, lo and behold, he had lunch with Curtis King about a week after that. And they're sitting there having lunch together, and this pastor who unhired me is feeling awful about what had been done. And he says, he says to Curtis King, he says, I know you pastor a church in another part of the state. He said, do you have any staff needs? And he said, well, we're all set in school. You know, they had a Christian school. We're all set in school. He said, well, how about the church? He said, well, I, I need to hire someone, but I don't know that that person even exists. He said, I need someone who can run a children's program, a children's ministry, and I need someone who can pastor our Spanish church. And uh, that guy's fork, the, the pastor that hired me, he dropped his fork on the plate, so I'm told. He said, I have got the guy for you. And we were put in contact, and Curtis King hired me to be his assistant pastor. And, boy, Curtis King and I, we now have a podcast together. We're best of friends, and a lot of what I, way I run this ministry here, I learned from him. Can I just give you my opinion here? I think that if I had taken the job to work Sundays... I think that Curtis King would have never called me. I think that God was running me, my faith through a test. You see, faith is doubt and belief in God and choosing to step out on faith instead of doubt. How many of you right now are going through some problem in your life? You know theoretically what is right, but you just have some doubt in the situation. Raise your hand if, you know, if you're there right now. Step out on what's faith. It's okay that you feel the doubt. Don't act on the doubt. Step out on the faith and watch God come through. His ways are perfect. One more uh, thought I want to give you here before we move on to the last point of the message. It dawned on me and I, and I'm, I don't, didn't have this plan to be said, but, boy, I believe this is going to help somebody here. It dawned on me some time ago that there are probably 10, 12, 15 categories in my life where God wants me to walk by faith and not by sight. 
When I get strong in a couple of those categories, God identifies the lowest, the weakest category. And he begins to send problems that way. He says, I'm going to challenge your faith here. Do you know why God sends problems into your life? Because he's trying to grow your faith. He's trying to make that shield of faith even stronger. You see, when I was 25 years old, I didn't trust God for my finances. So he ran me through a problem to show me, hey, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I can pay your bills anytime I want. And you know what? Since I learned, I walked through that trial, not one time since then have I ever thought, I wonder how I'm going to pay my bills. Oh, there have been other times of financial trials in my life, but I have shrugged my shoulders every time and said, I'm serving God with my life. He's going to pay my bills. And I've gone to bed and not lost one week of sleep over my own finances or this church's finances. But there have been other areas where my faith has lacked. You see, sometimes my faith lacks in trusting God with my relationships. And God says, I own those too. Are you going to trust me with your relationships? Are you going to trust me with your housing? Are you going to trust me with your work? Are you going to trust me uh, in your marriage? Are you going to trust me as your children are raised? Are you going to trust me uh, uh, in your entertainment? Are you going to trust me uh, in your witness? Are you going to trust me uh, in your occupation? You pick the category. God wants you to pick up the shield of faith, to make the decision to pick up the shield of faith and to protect yourself with it. But my friend, it's a decision you must make day in and day out. Noah and the ark is an example of Noah picking up the shield of faith. Abraham and Isaac on the, uh, on the um, uh, mount there. Example of faith. Moses in the parting of the Red Sea, he held out the rod by faith. Joshua marked, marched the armies around Jericho by faith. Elijah called for fire on Mount Carmel, Carmel by faith. Daniel uh, in the lion's den. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, trusting God by faith. The Hebrew boys allowed themselves to be thrown in the fiery furnace by faith. And David stepped out in that valley with that rock and slew Goliath. By faith. It's a decision that we must make. Number one, say it with me when we get to the alliterated word, the word that fills in the blank here. Here we go. Ready? Number one, the Christian in his... Number two, the Christian in his... Distractions. Number three, the Christian in his... Decision. Number four, lastly, the Christian in his diligence. The Christian in his diligence. Take your Bibles over to James chapter 2 and look at verse number 14. James 2 and verse 14. You see, faith alone, in theory, is not enough. God doesn't just want you to say, oh, I believe. I'm strong in my heart and my belief in God. No, faith and faith requires action. Look at verse 14. What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Now, we're going to keep reading. Let me just say, here, you see someone on the street that's, that's, that's homeless and hungry, and you say to them, Oh, have faith, and God will take care of you. And then you turn around and don't do anything about it. Is your faith alone going to feed their empty stomach? Is your faith going to put clothes on their back? No, 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 no. Uh, faith would require you to then turn around and buy them food to go in their stomach and buy them clothes 
to go on their back. That's what faith is. Faith requires works as well. Look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works as dead, being alone, yea, a man uh, may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, they'll do as well. The devils also believe and tremble, but wilt thou, not, uh, wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And someone would say, well, then isn't works uh, required for salvation? And I would say, yes, works is required for salvation. But watch this now. It's his work and my faith in his work that requires salvation. But listen, faith always requires works. Always requires works. To be saved, it required his work. But listen, after you get saved, it requires your work. Requires your work. Faith in your works. You say, well, I have faith in God, but you're not willing to do anything to, to help the kingdom of God, then your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. We talked about Peter a few minutes ago. Let me just finish with this. Uh, Peter's faith without his works, what did it lead to? It led to him weeping bitterly. Peter's faith without his works led to him going out and quitting on the Lord, returning to his pre- previous occupation of fishing. But then we turn to the book of Acts and we find Peter who is living by faith and doing the work of God. We find faith plus works with Peter. And what do we find? We find uh, 3,000 people being saved through Peter's preaching at Pentecost. 5,000 being saved later in the temple. And we find Peter bridging the gap between the Jews and Gentiles with the gospel. Why? Because he put his faith with his works. He was diligent to work for the Lord. I finished with this. Our world is prime for the rapture of the church. I believe that in my lifetime, Jesus is going to come back, receive the church into heaven. Jesus said that when he does come back, he's going to come with his rewards in his hand. I don't want to stand before Jesus. I had faith. Yes, but what did you do for me? But I had faith. Yeah, but... There's nothing to... Your faith has no fruit... There's nothing to show. Oh, I want to get to heaven one day. And God says, I know you had faith because you did this for me. And 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 yes, you scraped your spiritual knee along the way. And yes, you, oh, you had your share of problems. And oh, yes, you were sinful. And oh, yes, you, uh, you, you, you sure did mess up here. And oh, you really blew it over there. But you picked yourself up. And you kept walking by faith. And you kept doing works for me. Here's your reward, good and faithful servant. Are you doing the work that shows your faith? Or are you like that African impala, stuck behind a flimsy fence the world's put up around you, limited in how you can serve the Lord? My friend, God's called you to serve God. Let's hold up high our shield of faith. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 
I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. A few moments ago, I shared a personal story. Hey, I happen to get that one right. I wish I could say I always get it right, because that's just not true. I've plenty of times God's run me through trial and I've failed. Christian, I want to ask you this morning, are you holding the shield of faith? Or are you just walking by sight? You walking by sight. Ephesians 6.16, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. With it, we quench the fiery darts of the wicked. 